Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. These are your hosts, Daman Tiwana and Khyati Thakur, and both of us love reading books. On this podcast, we bring our favorite books to you every month and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today, we are discussing Sharon Strait's memoir, Wild which is an inspiring account of her solo hiking of Pacific Crest Trail on the journey to heal herself. Following her mom's death, Sharon's life went into a downward spiral. On her journey from Mojave Desert to the Bridge of Gods, we see her grow and heal herself in unexpected ways. Before we start our discussion, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Sharon is 26 years old when she is on this trail. Her mom died of cancer when Cheryl was 22 and adding to her loss her stepfather and siblings also became estranged after her mother's death. You can see that she has lost herself and she's desperately trying to find herself again. She has lost the meaning of what she was, what her family was, what her life was. She started sleeping around with a bunch of random people even though she was married to the love of her life as she puts it. I think she was using sex as a coping mechanism for her mom's loss. Yeah, I think she went on this whole self-destruction mode after her mom's death. She got addicted to heroin and finally she comes clean to her husband about her adultery and they get a divorce. Yeah, you're right about self-destruction. I believe it helps you take your mind off your pain by causing different pains in a way. For some reason, this made me remember something my friend had said years ago. She had some back pain and she stubbed her toe on purpose so it would distract her from the back pain. It did not stop her back pain, but now she didn't have to deal with it because the focus was on her toe. Oh my god, that's such an extreme reaction to pain. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see that Cheryl was doing kind of a similar thing. And as you mentioned, she got divorced from her husband. And one thing I want to discuss about that is her friend's reaction to this whole situation. They were so mean to her. I know. Without even understanding the context and blaming her for cheating on him. Some of her friends slept with her husband just as an act of I don't know what. Yeah, that was just shitty behavior on their part. I also feel that it was very reflective of how we as a society punish women more cruelly and hold them to much higher standards as opposed to men. Yeah, it's true. It also reminded me that there are very few people who take the time to understand what's actually going on with you and even fewer who would stand by your side through thick and thin knowing fully well that you were in the wrong but still supporting you. And it might as well be that because if you think about it How many people in the world would you yourself do that for? Yeah, that's so true. A good support system is so important and these events in Cheryl's life took away so much of that. In that depression and low point of her life, Cheryl decided to become a solo wilderness trekker because in her words, why not? She had seen a brochure about PCT at a store and somehow it called to her. When her mother died, she was depressed. She did not have any idea what's going on with her. She was lost. So maybe when she saw that PCT brochure at the shop, it called out to her because getting lost in the wilderness was the closest metaphor to real life her mind could comprehend at that point. She wanted to find herself. 
the Pacific Crest Trail called out to her as a real thing that she could hold on to to find herself. Yeah, according to her, she had nothing to lose by trying this. Her marriage was over, she had lost contact with family and friends, and she was herself broken inside. To give a little more perspective, Pacific Crest Trail is 2,663 miles long, stretching from Mexico to Canada. Cheryl did 1,100 miles of the trail, I think, in about 100 days, from the Mojave Desert to Columbia River Bridge at Oregon-Washington border. Pardon my geography lesson, but I just find it easier to visualize things. <laughs> Cheryl wasn't really trained for this hike. She didn't prepare much other than her trips to REI and reading the guidebook, I guess. She quit her job as a waitress and finalized her divorce before setting out, which I saw as her way of wrapping up that life as she knew it for good. She was escaping from that life which had become unbearable and hoped to go to a different one after this trail. You know, something I learned new from this book was that people pack dehydrated food and supplies and get it mailed to themselves at stops along PCT, which makes sense if you think about it. You obviously cannot carry months worth of food and supplies in your backpack, but I guess I never gave it a thought before reading this book. Yeah, I always used to wonder about that. How do people carry food and water when they hike for so many days? Also, you know, she kept mentioning so many times that her hiking bag was probably bigger and heavier than any other person on the trail. I think if I was on that trail, mine would be heavier than hers. <laughs> I would have taken a portable charger, hair straightener, probably shampoos and bath and body works. I can't live without those things. I know when we go camping, I always wish for either a portable hair straightener or bathrooms with power outlets. <laughs> But it never happens and my whole experience is a very frizzy one. Okay, I have to confess something. I have never hiked or camped for more than a day. So basically, I've never camped. That's why you can see that book was so unrelatable to me. What? You've never camped? No. <laughs> you live in California and you have not camped? <laughs> That's it. You're coming with me next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually love camping. But honestly, even for me... A lot was unrelatable because usually we go camping in groups and the campsites that we choose are these high traffic areas like Yosemite National Park. They're very well equipped when it comes to access to showers or decent bathrooms at least. One thing that I kept feeling all throughout the book was how lucky we are to have things in our lives. I mean, I was reading about a journey through the PCT, how she encountered snakes, bears, bulls who charged at her, that log of ants as she was resting. How her tent, which is basically a thin sheet of nylon, felt like a safe haven to her and so on. And I was thinking to myself, I would probably die at that place. <laughs> I would step on a rattlesnake and keep crying about that and die. You know, one time I was on a hike with a friend of mine. It was a loop and was a short hike that we did few times a week after lunch. And towards the end of the hike, a snake passed by right in front of us. We literally backtracked and we did the whole hike again in the opposite direction and we didn't go back for weeks. Oh my god. I mean, at least you guys went back after a week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, she was in a motel a day before starting on the trail and she was looking at herself in a mirror and she describes herself as the woman with the hole in her heart. To me, this perfectly exactly explains depression. I have been through it 
And at one point, I still remember thinking to myself that I have an actual physical hole in my heart that would probably never get filled. Like, I would just feel it as an empty place in the middle of my chest my whole life. I do know that feeling. It feels like it would never go away. But I'm so glad that time passes and so do these dark phases of life. And this was Cheryl's journey out of that, even if she didn't know it yet. The next day, she begins the trail and pretty soon she realizes that it is much tougher than she had expected. She knew it would be hard, but this was on another level. She was also scared, like any woman who was hiking for the first time alone and with no prior experience would be. And she says that fear is born of a story we tell ourselves. So she chose to tell herself a different story from the one women are told. She decided she was safe strong and brave and that nothing could vanquish her. What a powerful belief that is. I think we don't realize it, but the things that we are scared to do in our day-to-day lives are born out of this story that we tell ourselves as well. Oh man, I talk myself out of so many things because of this fear, this story in my head. Be it public speaking or owning my writings or putting myself out there in any way. The fact that I'm doing this podcast with my real name on it is something that last year Daman would not even think about. I would have easily talked myself out of it with a million stories. But I made you do it! Yay! Yeah! (laughs) Going back to Cheryl's story, she's struggling so much physically and mentally on that trail. The flesh on her tailbone, hips and the front of her shoulders starts bleeding on the second day of the hike. Yeah, and she realizes that she had overestimated her ability to hike and had only traveled half of what she planned when she realized she had eaten all of her ready-to-eat food and everything else needed to be cooked, but her stove would not work since she got the wrong fuel for it. So she decides to get off the track in search for food and after hours of walking, she gets a ride in the back of a truck from three strange men on the road. If we were watching a movie, it could totally change at this point, right? If I was her, I would be scared to death to go and talk to those men. Yeah, but nothing like that happens with her here. And she goes home with one of the men, Frank, gets dinner cooked by his wife, gets to bathe and sleep in a proper bed, also gets his stove repaired and gets right back to the trail. For me, this was one of those too-good-to-be-true instances, honestly. Yeah. But later, there was a moment when she does get scared about Frank's intentions after the other men have left, and she lies to him that she's not hiking alone. Her husband is also on the trail. I cannot remember the number of times I have used this lie to ward off creepy men in buses, in bars, I don't know where. Oh yeah, me too. If you're a girl in this world, you gotta know your lies. When she was walking in the Death Valley, which is extremely hot, she felt like quitting. I was surprised and not so surprised that on this hike, although she set out to find answers for her mental suffering, so far she had only been consumed with the physical suffering that she had had no time to mull over her state of mind. In my experience, I have seen that distractions are the only real way to get over your mind and what it is making you think. Yes, people do say that you can't just distract yourself from your problems and hope that everything goes away. But when it is your mind that's problematic, I think distractions really help. I agree. Sometimes our mind needs those distractions to take some time to process the hard stuff. But this hike wasn't easy either. Ten days in the hike, she was done. She planned to get off the trail and go to Alaska. 
But she meets another hiker, Greg, who was going from Mexico to Canada on PCT, and he motivates her to keep going. Every night, she would ask herself, who's tougher than me? And the answer was, no one. Yeah. Even when she did not believe that. It was like her mantra. I like that a lot. And I think I should adopt that for myself. (laughs) And with her will and her mantra, Cheryl made it to her first stop, Kennedy Meadows. Snow in High Sierra was really bad that year, and a lot of hikers had cancelled their trips, but Cheryl did not know this because she did not look into any of that before starting her trip. And when she learns the gravity of it on the trail, she decides to bypass that portion of the trail. Two of the hikers on the trail, Tom and Doug, offer her to join them in going further on that snowy trail so that they can all cross the trail in each other's company, but she declines it because she needed to do it alone. She needed to face her fears alone. And so instead of High Sierra, she decides to trail all of Oregon. She said that having those guys around her kept her from saying, I am not afraid in that alone, lonely place on the mountain. What's the thing that you have done alone that made you keep saying, I am not afraid, but you had to do it alone? About a year ago, I went to Phoenix and I was looking for things to do on TripAdvisor and I came across this hike which had great reviews. I looked at few photos from the summit view and I was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do today. I also was getting this high from the fact that I am alone in this. So far in all the hikes, I have been with someone. I start hiking and after some time, I'm feeling tired and I see this trail marker which says that you have done one-eighth of the hike. (laughs) And on that map, it showed the elevation gain for the rest of the hike. And I went like, oh, oh, I have made a big mistake. (laughs) But for some reason, I pushed through and this hike kept getting harder and harder. At some point, there were these huge rocks and I was using all four limbs to climb. Oh my god. I somehow got to the top. It was sunset and the view was amazing. It was actually worth it. But then comes the part where you have to actually get down. (laughs) I was so scared climbing down those rocks. It was getting dark and I have hurt my ankle a lot of times in my life. And I was so afraid that's going to happen again. And I was so sure that I was going to die there. But somehow I finished it in one piece. But the whole time I was afraid. Oh my god, that is crazy and scary. You're so strong in this. Honestly, I'm not sure about being strong. It was more getting myself into something I was not prepared for and I had no choice really. Wow, I can just imagine myself crying at this hill that I'm stuck at and I'm so far removed from any such experience. It almost seems like a very real nightmare, almost some movie-like scenario to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of movie-like things, you remember that part where she gets off the trail to bypass Sierra City and her bus stops in Reno? And she met this psychic-like person who explains the meaning of the feather she's carrying. It supposedly signified a void in her life. That sounded like such crap to me, so movie-like and made up. I don't buy all this mystic bullshit anyway. One time, I was in New Orleans with a friend, and just for fun, she wanted to go to a palm reader. So this haggard-looking guy predicted that my love life is all about to change. I should not hang on to my ex. And all of which was such bullshit. 
not a single thing could overlap with my life story it was actually hilarious <laughs> i have only been to one tarot card reader in my life and it was completely bullshit but i also think that it's about the belief yeah i guess to each their own but many portions of the book seemed like a sign from the universe thing to me like when her feet are really done with the shoes which are a size too small her shoe falls accidentally as if the universe doesn't want her to wear those anymore yeah another thing that was very weird to me was the way she could easily hitchhike to all the places she needed i find that very unbelievable would you hitchhike or give ride to a hitchhiker oh my god this same question kept going on in my head the whole time i was reading this book maybe it's because i'm indian and the way i have been brought up is to be generally untrusting of people who look like hobos or maybe it's because i'm so far removed from this world where you go on camps and walk on treks and stuff that i just find it absurd even though there have been times when i have wanted to help hitchhikers by giving them a ride i cannot this is how i'm raised don't blame me <laughs> <laughs> me too like my first instinct is of getting murdered so any kindness in me is suppressed instantly <laughs> yeah speaking of things that bug me at one point she's left with 60 cents how <laughs> she had to get to the next stop on 60 cents. She has the 60 cents and she's at a restaurant and of course there's nothing on the menu under 60 cents. But conveniently a woman hears that she's hiking PCT and after talking a bit to her asks her to come with her family for shower and meal. I'm not challenging her account of events but I just find it too hard to believe. Another time she had only 2 cents left. Although she does yeah. acknowledge that by saying that growing up poor had helped in this PCT trail, maybe it's the way I have grown up that not having enough money when I'm out of my house freaks me out. As long as I have money, even if I get lost, I am at least calm that nothing bad will happen to me. I found myself getting angry at her for eating those burgers and drinking those sodas and wasting her money and not planning <laughs> ahead. First, How do you not budget and get in this situation over and over? I know. Second, how was she finding all these people who would pay attention to strangers and understand and anticipate their needs? I think my perspective is probably clouded too because it's defined by the place that we live in where everybody is so rushed and no one has time to stop let alone look at others, right? Maybe. And a part of me also understands that you would not care about money in this instant honestly like imagine if you have hiked for days on dehydrated food you'll be like fuck money give me all the food but as a reader i was so worried for her and you remember there's another part of the book where she eats meal at another detour for something like 6 dollars and she has only 2 pennies left to tip so instead she leaves a few stamps and she mentions that it was the first time she had no money to tip It made me think about this whole tipping culture the way tipping has been made a custom by businesses and the food industry putting the weight of servers livelihood on consumers instead of paying them decent wages themselves I saw a post recently on Facebook I think where someone shared their paycheck showing how little they make I mean it's a known thing that they rely on tips mm-hmm. but it's despicable how insidiously this tipping culture has been set up as the decent thing to do when the actual decent thing is to pay your employees I was listening to a podcast about how tipping is like a 40 billion dollar industry in itself today and restaurants don't pay their employees but rely on tips Wow, that's a lot of money out of my pocket. Stop mooching off of me. Coming back to the book, 
there was a part on the trail where she did not see the trail marker for a while and she felt she might be on the wrong path. I was reminded of a time when I went for a hike near the Redwoods with my husband and we had an argument. He stopped mid-hike and was sulking and I decided to go ahead alone. At one point, I missed the right exit off track and ended up on the loop again. It was so embarrassing that I had to call him up and ask him to unlost me. <laughs> oh my god. You know, I would probably just give up on it, not call him and start living there. And then I would get a book out that would be my version of Wild. Hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I totally buy that given that you have never camped a day in your life. <laughs> And also my trail was like 30 minutes away from where I live. So I don't <laughs> think it would qualify as wild. One more thing that I definitely related to and that I would want to go to is Rainbow Gathering. It is organized by the Rainbow Family of Living Light, a loose tribe of so-called free thinkers who share a common goal of peace and love on earth. Every summer they set up an encampment on national forest land that attracts thousands in a celebration that culminated during the 4th of July week but simmers all summer long. Sounds so much fun and so hippie. I'm not sure if I'll join you. Uh tell me how it was. Yeah, it's too hippie but think about it. When you're already halfway across your PCT hike, you might as well do the rainbow gathering. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is There is one lady who gives her a ride at one point and says to her I think it's neat you do what you want not enough chicks do that if you ask me just tell society and their expectations to go fuck themselves if more women did that we would be better off these are the most inspiring and thought provoking lines from the book we have to teach our women to follow their hearts we have to say things like this to every woman who is doing something that her heart wants and as a society we don't do that enough I totally agree with you and I'm glad Cheryl had these experiences which kept her motivated to go on and also helped her become stronger. She even sleeps out in the open one night after a day of exhaustion and dehydration and wakes up to hundreds of small frogs all over her. How would you react if you were to wake up to frogs all over you? Well, you know, I would probably be dead before I reach that point <laughs> because I stepped on a rattlesnake. But I'm actually not very scared of frogs, so I think I would play with them. Oh, I find them so creepy. I could die of anxiety and heart attack from all those frogs. Imagining that is giving me creeps. Oh. <laughs> well, when she is in Ashland, Oregon, she walks into a supermarket full of stuff and thinks to herself, "How was it that I had ever taken these things for granted?" It was such a reminder of how much we take for granted in our lives. I kept feeling that all through this book, even like talking to people or being with some humans around and some decent food seems like such a luxury. I know. You remember that part where one night when she sees the men on the trail after a gap of few weeks, she notices that even though she had lost weight too, it was not as much as the men. And that was a pattern she was observing all across the board in the hikers where the male and female hikers would not lose weight in the same proportion and as like how true this is and yet a disproportionate number of women are attempting to fight our very nature thanks to social conditioning right yeah i was listening to a podcast recently where a doctor was talking about how male and female bodies work on different cycles I mean it's not something we don't know already yet all the research and information out there on any diets or whatever it's so singular I feel it's so scary that in this race to lose weight or to look a certain way we are damaging our bodies and health 
Oh yeah, none of us women have been completely immune to this race to lose weight. And we have all probably almost killed our inner happy people in this race to look thin. Oh yeah. And while we are speaking of men on the trail, there's another part I think we definitely need to discuss. When these creepy men come and she has to pack up her bag and make a run for it. How this is something only women experience through their life, like having their antennas up, not letting their guards down, running towards safety, while men can easily be hobos without that fear. I think I read somewhere that there was a survey which showed that what men feared most was that women would laugh at them and what women feared most was that men would kill them. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Like every time I've been alone with a stranger who's a man in any situation, I totally think that I wonder if he'll kill me. So that fear totally checks out. Yeah, even like cab rides, you get that fear so often. But all of it is so much mental burden on us. I feel like somewhere we are also so used to this mental burden. Like I cannot imagine a life without this mental burden now. I know. It's everywhere on the streets or on the trail, doesn't matter. Towards the end of her trip, you can see that the reason she went on this trip, probably to escape from all that was happening in her life or probably to find herself again to let go of her mother's grief and also to become someone who didn't ache for a companion. All that had actually happened to her on this trail. So many lessons I've learned from her. We obsess over so many things, so many people who are hard to reach, who are hard to please and we spend so much time over them. But we often forget that there are so many awesome, beautiful things and people in this world and in our lives who give us so much more happiness than we could ask for. What I liked best about the book was that it showed me people grieve in different ways, which is something I feel we are not shown or taught so much in our culture. We are asked to act in only one way in face of grief, cry and break. In fact, I have seen people being criticized for crying less, as if tears are the measure of the love they had or the loss they suffered. I also really resonated with that desire to escape, to go into wilderness, to be alone, when I read this book for the first time, I spent a lot of time researching PCT and I was really inclined to do it. I was also going through something in my life at that point and it made this idea all the more alluring to me. You know, it had the opposite effect on me. When I read this book, I didn't feel like hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. When she says, I didn't want to be the hapless hiker, I wanted to be the hard-ass motherfucking Amazonian queen. I laughed out loud and I was also so inspired by this sentiment of hers, but I really didn't feel like going on that hike. <laughs> well, that's wild for us. It's a truly inspirational book and I'm sure it will inspire you to get off your butt and go for a hike at least. And more seriously, it will inspire you in many, many ways. Before we end this episode today, I have one last thing. We get to know that Cheryl Strayed had chosen her last name after her divorce. The meaning of the word strayed felt like she was being described as herself. I was thinking to myself, if I could pick my last name on the basis of how it defined me, what would I pick? What about you? I think I love my name way too much to ever think of changing it. But I guess maybe Cheryl also felt the same way before life changed for her. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine what I would be in a situation like that. But I think I might actually forego my last name, just be Daman. No other identifiers. Like some people have their names messed up on their visa application and it's FNU, LNU. 
I can be last name unidentified. <laughs> yeah, I just love, love, love my last name. I actually didn't even change it after my wedding because I don't like my husband's last name. <laughs> So I probably won't change my name at all for anything. And speaking of Cheryl, did you know that Cheryl wrote an advice column called Dear Sugars for a long time? Oh, I didn't know that. What is it about? It's where people write letters about their relationship problems or any other personal problems they need some advice on. Now they have also made it into a podcast. You should definitely check it out. I really like some of the episodes. They cover the complexities of relationships and offer some really good advice. And at the very least, they make you feel that you are not alone. Oh, that sounds great and very interesting. Okay, yeah. I'll listen to it. Yeah, and her original advice column has been made into a book as well. Oh, nice. Thank you, Daman. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a 5-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, browngirlsreadpod. And if you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on Instagram. Next month, we'll be back with What I Know Now, Letters to My Younger Self by Ellen Spragans. Keep listening!